0: The Secret Library Podcast is brought to you in part by our miraculous Secret Library Patreon. To support the show and get access to tons of bonus content, solo episodes, and more, you can check it out at patreon.com slash secret library. This is The Secret Library Podcast. Welcome to season three, The Nourished Writer. My guest is Kemi Nekvapil, author, coach, and speaker. When she landed with her fifth set of foster parents at age 13, she learned for the very first time what choice was. Since birth, she'd moved from home to home, not knowing who her next set of parents would be, having no say over any area of her life. But that disempowered childhood experience changed the moment her new foster mother took her shopping and asked her to choose which color underwear she wanted. In that instant, she understood what choice was, how it felt, and has been choosing ever since. This gift of empowerment saw her train and work as a baker, chef, actor, and yoga teacher throughout many different countries, eventually pioneering the raw food movement in Australia. During more than 20 years working in the well-being space, she saw the power of food held over women and how this relationship with food impacts the way we live our lives. Her raw food journey was the gateway to realizing that women's relationships with food was stopping them from living a life of choice. So she transitioned from working with raw food to training as a life coach to turn that sense of disempowerment around. Her life experiences and trainings allow her to work with other women in a space of no judgment. She is the author of Raw Beauty and the Gift of Asking and is currently working on her third book. I've been so lucky this year to be a subscriber of Kimmy's newsletter and to benefit from the beautiful things she writes. And I was so inspired by one of her messages that I wrote back and told her. And it turned out that she was a podcast listener And I knew she was working on her book, so it just felt too, too perfect for us not to speak to each other, especially as the topic of her books, of making a conscious choice. And in particular, I was moved by the gift of asking and how we need to speak up, give ourselves permission, and ask for what we want. Often that is time to write and space to write away from other responsibilities in our lives. And... This can be a hard thing to ask for, so I knew there would be a lot to say in this conversation, but we found even more than we expected getting into the role of fear and vulnerability in writing. And as you'll be able to tell, it was very difficult for us to wrap this conversation up at the end. We could have gone on much, much longer, and I hope that we'll have the benefit of having Kemi back on in the future. I know you'll love this episode, we loved recording it, and I'm very happy to present Kemi Nekvapel. Hey Kemi,
1: thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, it is my absolute pleasure. I'm incredibly excited about this conversation, Caroline. So am I. <laughs> and
0: one of the reasons, there's so many reasons, but... As we're talking about the nourished writer, one of the things that I have noticed, both with students, clients, those who write in, is that there is often a feeling of not being able to ask for what they need in order to get the writing done that they're so desperate to do. And given that your book, The Gift of Asking, is basically a primer on Asking what you need in all kinds of situations, and we have the advantage of you working on a third book
1: right now. I couldn't think of a more perfect setup to discuss this. It is an an interesting space, um, writers and asking for what we need. I think part of that is being clear. Maybe it's not about being clear. I think part of that is owning our need and our will to write, because if we are apologetic about it, it's hard for other people to see how important it is.
0: Absolutely. I think that's, that's another layer because there is this hesitation and it feels like the cart before the horse in a way, which is once I have written something meaningful, then I'm allowed to call myself a writer. And then I'm Mm. allowed to ask for, you know, a, a space or time or sharing responsibilities in the house or so on so that I can write, but not until I've proven that I can do it. But how can
1: you do it if you don't ask? Yeah, 100%. And I think that there's also, if um, I'm sure that people that are listening, you know, as you know, I love listening to this podcast myself. And one of the things that I think as well, we also have to be honest with ourselves. We also have to ask ourselves, because there's a lot of asking of ourselves that we need to do, am I using the lack of space, the lack of childcare, the lack of the right desk, the right pen, the right laptop, the right whatever it is as a barrier because the reality is is that writing means that we're exposing ourselves. So I think there is an aspect that definitely there are external obstacles outside of us that we need to be able to communicate to ourselves and to others and how we can manage those obstacles But there's also the internal obstacles um, that sometimes we bypass because we think it's an external force that's stopping us from doing the work that we want to do.
0: Yes, absolutely. I think this is one of the most tricky things, is sorting out which are genuine fears and which are things that we're using as excuses.
1: Yeah, it's hard to know. I think, do you know what, actually, the the thing that makes it easier is to admit and own and honour that we all make excuses. That's a given because we're humans in the same way that we are all contradictions because we are humans. So once we own that about ourselves, then we can ask ourselves the question, oh, I make excuses. Do I make a lot of excuses around this area of my life? And if the answer is yes then that gives another space to create new foundations, new routines, another level of asking what you need and want from others to facilitate your writing. And if the answer is no, this isn't an excuse, I do actually have 17 children at home under the age of two. I'm not sure how that would be physically possible, but let's just use that as an example. (laughs) It's like Um, a fairy tale. Yeah, exactly. Um, And a stepmother to deal with, because that would obviously be part of that fairy tale. Um, Definitely. Then then you know, okay, it's not an excuse. It is reality and I do need to manage my 17 children under the age of two before I can do the writing that I need to do.
0: How would you start to ask yourself these questions? Because sometimes it seems when you're first getting into this, I like to think of fear as almost like a big thundercloud and it's kind of vague and it just has this feeling of, oh... It's a bad idea to go over there, even though I really want to go over there. And we have to start taking that apart. And I'm interested in how you ask questions of yourselves or for the people that you've worked with, because obviously you ask questions of people professionally. Mm -hmm. How do you start to take apart that kind of, you know, globby, large dread for lack of a better way of putting it.
1: (laughs) I like that, globby. That's great. I'm going to make sure that I use that somehow today. Oh, yeah, let's keep it. Day-to-day life, globby. Um, Our relationship to fear is different. Some people experience fear as a reason not to do something. I don't experience fear that way. I experience fear as an invitation to explore further in regards to writing my third book, there was fear around that book and I knew I had to write it because of the fear. Um, I think that fear is a fantastic invitation. There are definitely times when I feel fear and it's because actually it's not great to keep walking off of that cliff or to spend more time with that person or to co-collaborate with this person, you know, that's more of an intu- intuitive kind of this is a misalignment. When it comes to fear in regards to creativity, there are so many different ways to look at it. I, you know, I think looking at the work of Stephen Pressfield and Elizabeth Gilbert, you know, I, I love their work because they see fear as part of the creative process And that fear isn't a reason to stop. It may actually be a reason to dive deeper. And that's definitely something that I have found for myself. So as individuals, because we relate to fear in different ways, having a relationship with how you experience fear is a really great place to start.
0: Yes. Yes to all of that. Absolutely. I have found that, you know, in having a relationship with the critical self, that the critical self starts to really throw up obstacles and, and present a lot of reasons we should be afraid, but it only does that when you're actually onto something.
1: Yeah, 100%. Only when you're onto something, only when it matters. Exactly. We don't get – we're not fearful of doing things that don't really matter. We just kind of get it done. I, I don't think many people are like, oh, I'm really scared about hanging out the washing today or <laughs> oh, I'm really – I mean, maybe if you have agoraphobia or something like that. But if you don't, if you're not challenged with something like that, then generally – because hanging out the washing matters in the fact that it's nice to have clean clothes, but it's not about um, – putting out into the world, your thoughts, your feelings, your creativity, because it doesn't get more vulnerable than that.
0: No. So I'm very interested in how you constructed the gift of asking. And also it sounds like there may be some of the same themes coming in your, in your third book, where there was a process for people to follow, but there was also a lot of personal story included. And how was it and what kinds of questions did you ask yourself in order to share that material and yet protect yourself with with things that were vulnerable?
1: That's a really great question. I, I very much believe in people sharing their stories. I very much believe in women sharing their stories and I very much believe in women of colour sharing their stories. And so whenever I'm writing, the most important thing I'm thinking is, is this useful? Is this useful? The reality is I have no idea if it is. I can only trust that it will be useful to someone. So I know that the more vulnerable I am, the more honest I am, that will allow a connection with the reader that I aim will open them up in a way that allows them to look at what is and what is not working in their life. In saying that, I also have very strict boundaries around what I will share because I don't think it's necessary to put anything out there that I don't think is going to be useful.
0: Right. I think it's also, it's writing is an opportunity to transform experience, but it also sometimes means you have to go through experiences that people may be fearful of revisiting. Like sometimes people have an awareness of, ooh, this feels really juicy, what I'm going to write about, but it's also really scary. So Mm. do you have thoughts about how to start to move into that kind of experience
1: my what I do is I just write it I just write <laughs> it I get it all out I get it all out and even when I'm writing I'm all oh, I'm not sure about this I'm not I'm not sure I should be sharing this one I'm not sure about this one and then I leave it and then I and actually have a story I actually have one of those stories in book three my editor has the book i sent it to her 2 weeks ago after my i don't know second or third round of revisions on my first draft and i'm still not sure i still do not know whether or not that story will get to stay in the book and i'm okay not knowing because i also trust that i will know when i need to know
0: mm. yeah there is a lot of not knowing that we have there's to there's a lot of not handle. knowing
1: yeah. There's a lot of not knowing, um, which, it, which brings us back to vulnerability because you know, I feel very blessed to have trained with Dr. Brené Brown last year and her definition of vulnerability is that it is the risk of emotional exposure with no guarantee of the outcome. Every yep. time we put our words out into the world, there is no guarantee.
0: Yeah, there never is. We have no, no. idea.
1: No, we don't know how it's going to be received. Um, we don't know if it is going to be useful. We don't know if it is going to be transformative. We don't know if it is going to take someone on the journey that we want them to go on, whether it's fiction or nonfiction um, or something in between. I kind of like to think of my books as somewhere in between because the storytelling comes from telling stories of my life. And yet the non-fiction part of it is the coaching part of me that then, you know, always has a process that asks questions to allow the reader to go deeper to explore um, for themselves what their next, what their answers are, and what their next actions are. Actions that are meaningful to them, that are relevant to their life, that are um, that are moving them towards what's important to them.
0: I think. I'm very interested in the process. We alluded to this and we spoke earlier. I'm always fascinated by the actual process of when did you know you wanted to write a book on a particular topic? Because your first two books are on quite different topics. And I'm interested in how you knew, okay, this is the one. And how did you then start transforming that into the book that
1: they each became. It's so, it's so funny. And I have always loved hearing writers talk about process um, because it just allows you to, you know, you have moments of going, oh, oh, aha, <laughs> or oh I haven't thought of that. I'll give that a try. So it's, it's interesting to me that you think that both my first two books are so different because they're both aimed very clearly at women mm-hmm. and they're both around women honoring who we are as individuals and as a collective and they're both um an invitation to for us to live lives without apology
0: mm. No. Um,
1: Raw Beauty, my first book, it, it actually, that, that one came quite easily out of me and it, it was the first book. It was a big thing. I never thought that I could be an author or write. it. I don't know when I first discovered that black women wrote books. Um, I grew up in England. I didn't grow up with my birth parents. Um, I was always a minority and I just did not have an exposure. And so it was never part of my dreaming or my thinking or my possibilities no one ever offered it to me as an option and so it was very very late in the piece when I started to look for myself um who writes who gets to write who are the stories that appeal to me and 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 in reading other black women's words I was like oh well if they get to do it I get to do it you know that's Mm -hmm. the power of the mirror and um, I have been running retreats with women around raw beauty and this idea of what's a beauty that women can own and nourish for themselves that never gets taken away, a beauty that is born from the inside, not from an external um, allowance that society gives us. And that book had principles around well-being and you know, women adding these particular seven principles to their lives in stages, it would nourish who they were and who they got to become, and to build and create and honor a beauty that no one could ever take away from them. No billboard, no advertisement that our beauty is asked to own and to declare for ourselves. And the gift of asking, in some ways, was born out of my speaking, my professional speaking, and my coaching practice, because I'd be working with women. Um. You know, one of the things that I love about the clients I get to work with is that they are all women that are willing to do the work. Some of those women are creative. Some are CEOs. Some are business owners of their own companies. Some work for NGOs. So the industries they work in and what they do is very different. Some are elite athletes. But the thing that binds all of my clients together is they are willing to do the work. And yet what I found was that when it came to asking for what they needed or wanted from their teams, from their partners, um, from business owners, from children, whatever it was, they struggled with the asking part of it. And I started to then ask questions when I was speaking in front of larger audiences. Why don't we ask for what we need and want? One thing became very apparent is a lot of women don't actually know what they want. Yeah. And the second thing was that some of the reasons we don't ask is because we don't want to be a burden, we don't want to be greedy, we don't want to be rejected, we don't want to be seen as not having it all together, we don't want to appear weak and the list goes on and I list them in the book and then my next question was always and what is the impact of us not asking people for what we need and want and the impacts are overwhelm, anger, resentment, disconnection, unfulfillment and so when we looked at the fear around asking and the impact of not asking, the impact far outweighed the fear. And that was how that book was born. I I realised there is a space for women to explore their relationship with asking and what we miss out on when we're afraid to ask for what we need and what we want. Yeah, the impact is huge. The impact is huge and it's not just huge on us because we become very small versions on ourselves. And I think most of that is that most of us, regardless of our, um, of our race, of our background, of our upbringing, most women, the majority of women are raised to learn that our worth comes from being available to others at all times. And if we are doing that all the time, we are not allowed to ask for what we need or want because then we are somehow upsetting the paradigm of the constantly available woman. So breaking that down is really important to know that I need to learn to say no, I need to set boundaries. And that, you know, that's all part of the book because we need to put boundaries around what is important to us. Otherwise, how can we ever achieve the things that we want to achieve? And I don't mean necessarily achieve outside of ourselves in terms of aspirations and career. I mean, how do we get to be the parent that we want to be if we're parents and desire to be parents, if we, saying yes to everything outside of our home which doesn't allow us to be in our home parenting in the style that we want to be how can we ask our team to do the work do the project in a particular way if we are if we want to be nice all the time and I ask my clients a lot do you are you aiming for being nice are you aiming for respect what is going to move you and your team forward so then you know pulling apart this whole idea of us being nice as well is one of the biggest chains that women have. And I remember, I I write in Raw Beauty, I would be devastated if my epitaph, if my headstone said, Kemi was nice. Oh, (laughs) Yeah, exactly that. (laughs) You just think, (laughs) I just want to come back. I'd be clawing at the coffin, go, no, (laughs) let me do it again. No, 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 (gasps) that wasn't what I wanted. Um, So yeah, so asking is around being nice, being a good girl, um, talk a lot about being a good girl in asking. And so there are many, you know, there are many overlays for us as women that we need to create the space, you know, create the space for, which means creating space for what we want. And that is the coaching space, getting clear on what is it I want, what's stopping me from getting there, why am I stuck, um, getting clarity. And then part of that process as well is, you know, realizing that we do have this one shot. And for those of us that have children, our children are watching us. They are unconsciously asking us, how, do, how does this life work? How do I do it? And I believe that the most powerful thing that we can show any children we have in our lives, whether they come from us, whether they're nieces, nephews, whoever the children are that we are exposed to, that they are looking to us. And I think one of the biggest gifts that we can give Younger people is that you get to show up in the world as who you are, that you are allowed to ask whatever you need and whatever you want, that we all experience knows, and that we have all survived to no, know, and that you'll be fine
0: and that the the cost of not asking is is so huge you know you could be an author or you could be nice you know you could be
1: yeah oh that's so great you can be an author or you could be nice that's oh that's a good one to sit with yeah yeah
0: Yeah. it makes it because I think this is something that we all fear because there is this whole image of you know authors are or writers in general are kind of selfish alcoholics, you know, who <laughs> make chaos and throw things and, and have to be left alone and you can't talk to them and they're difficult. And all of these things that yes. we think we're going to become if we write when really we're sharing stories that may be
1: transformative to other people. And to us as we write them, because... Yes. And- And, you know, it's really interesting that we actually become nicer people. If we are meant to write, whatever that is, whatever that is for each of us as individuals, if we love writing and we're meant to write and it's part of who we are, whether it's writing to be published, whether it's writing to publish, whether it's writing a daily journal, whatever it is, if we are meant to write and we don't, there's no way we're going to be a nice person. No way at all. Agreed. Where there's going to be a resentful, judgmental, not very nice person to be around. And that lack of fulfillment will have its own way of manifesting in the world. So much easier to get some words down on the paper or, you know, on the laptop. Yeah. We, as soon as we start to sort of
0: investigate into these beliefs that we're holding so tightly, they, they do start to fall apart. I find You know, if you think, okay, am I in a better mood when I've written or not? (laughs) And is this horrible, you know, screaming drunk alcoholic more like me when I haven't had any time and haven't had any personal space or the me that's the when I have, when I've written like, you know, a few hundred words and feel really good about it.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's. It is, you know, it's, it's always about the power of the question for me as a coach. And I realise that I veered off a little bit and I will answer um, writing process because I, I have Mm. realized, I think I do have one, you know, now that I'm on book three and what I tend to do is I do have a little bit of an obsession about the title, Ah. which my writing mentor just thinks he's hilarious. He's like, why do you need a title? (laughs) Just write. And I'm like, no, no, just go with me. We we can just make one up. I just feel like I need something to hold on to. Um, I also have this vision. I I have this um, kind of, not a vision. I have a, a visual of a book kind of circling around my head and it will drop in at some point. And this third book, I wanted to write a book for about a year, I felt ready to write the next book for about a year before it dropped in. And I, once I it had dropped in, I then got very scared and I'm not at a point right now where I'm able to share the title of book three, but I got very scared. I got fearful, which was great. I got the full body fear when I said to my mentor, I think I've just got the title. And he had the same feeling, He he Ooh. wasn't crying. He wasn't <gasps> crying, but I was um and because the voice the inner critic the first thing and i speak about this in the third book as well cuz i think it's important the voice said who do you think you are to write a book about that wow and that was when i knew okay this is the book this i love book. that
0: that was your reaction because so many people crumble under who are you to write a book about that
1: oh uh, i know that if i did not write that book that gave me that um physiological and emotional reaction Every book that I wrote, trying not to write that book would be a waste of my life energy.
0: That's amazing.
1: Yeah. I just knew, like, this is it. This is the one. So you're going to have to, as my coach says, actually put your big girl panties on, which always (laughs) makes me laugh. (laughs) Put your big girl panties on and write the book. Um, And then I started writing. So I start with a word count. So what I try and do is I give myself amount of time. I um, actually started writing this book in India. I was in India at the beginning of this year. I had an experience with an incredible um, piece of architecture actually mm. in India that was designed and created by a woman. And I had never seen anything like this. And it also made me question why is this structure not as well known as some of the other architectural greats of the world that were all built by men. Why do I not know about this? And, and, and for me, it started having started me asking these questions around women sharing their stories, women sharing their art, women sharing their work, um, in a very bold and unapologetic way. And, seeing this structure, meditating on this structure, I then sort of ran straight back to our friend's house that we were staying in in India and started writing this book. When I got back to Melbourne, as I was writing the book, the stories were coming, stories from my life. I wanted to explore... Um, some of my earlier experiences of being a black child in a white majority and how that had affected what I was told and experienced, what I was allowed to do, who I was allowed to be, what I was allowed to say. And reliving some of those stories was very emotional. And there were days where I was just, you know, crying as I was writing. And that's fine because I'm a, I'm a feeling person. I actually, one of my superpowers is I'm allowed, I allow myself to feel all the feelings Um, I allow my clients to do exactly the same. There is no judgment. I know what happens when we're not allowed to feel our feelings. And that is not a great state to navigate the world in. And in writing them, I wouldn't say it was a form of therapy. In some ways it was more of a release. It was, wow, like you experienced this and look what you have created. Um, some of those tears were tears of celebration and the girl that experienced that had no idea of the life that she would step into. And, and it gave me in a way even more drive to write the book, to write down these stories because it only and I know a lot of writers say this and because it's true, because I think if we write to be useful, we only need one person to read it and for them to feel that they have worth, that they belong, that they're allowed to be in the world exactly as they want to be. And so I would write with a word count every single day. I'd write in the morning. I'm a morning person. I do the 5am thing. I don't think everyone needs to do the 5am thing, but I do. And I do my practices. So my journaling and my meditation and my yoga in that hour from five till six. And then I write from six till seven with my word count generally, but also when I have the word count goal, and my word count, by the way, is about 1,000 to 500 words for that first draft, It's just kind of getting it out, getting it down. Um, and then once I've done that first draft, I then am very strict about the 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. And then it's an hour. So I go from word count to time and I go back. I don't edit in my first draft. I don't look back over anything at all. I just get it down. And then I think like many writers, I go back, you know, after 40 days, I've got like 40,000 words down or something. I go back and some of it, I'm just looking, going, what in the world were you thinking when you (laughs) wrote that? Like that is not useful to anything or anyone. And then there are moments when you're like, wow, I wrote that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. So that sentence, that's a whole chapter that's what I needed out of the rest of this stuff that I wrote down this is what I needed this was the gold and so I go through that process and then I actually got to a part with this book where I knew it didn't have as much structure as I wanted and I kind of wanted my editor to just tell me that <laughs> so I sent it to her and she responded yeah you're right this this doesn't yet have a structure." And I was like, great, that's what I needed to hear. And then my ego went, I cannot believe she said that. How could she say that to you? (laughs) Um, Which was great, which was because I'm always like, this is part of the process. It's great. You needed someone else's eyes on it at this point. So then it came back to me and I then had, I probably had another two months with it. And every day from six till seven, going back again and again and again, going through it in that trusting the coaching processes that came to me in my meditation and my journaling and nature walks and everything else. And I sent it to her two weeks ago and it's getting really close and I'm very excited now. Hmm. Yeah.
0: I think the part about not looking back is so important while you're writing it the first time through.
1: Yeah, I think it is. I, it works for me. Um, I think it works for me on many levels. One, because you don't need the critic around at that point, because if if you're doing that, if you're going back and editing, you're not, you're going to have one word, which will be the end. That's two two words. Um, You know, (laughs) I can't do this and all that sort of thing. So that's one reason for me is that you just won't get anything down if you allow the critic to come in at that point. And for me, the other reason is that you create a rhythmic flow, like you have that energy, that momentum of, I am writing a book, like I have started the process of writing a book. And there's something in just for me, having the word count, doing it every single day, that kind of grounds me in, this is your creative practice right now.
0: I love the framing of, yeah, this is your creative practice right now, because the critic to me, my experience with, with mine and with others is that the critic wants proof before you've even attempted to execute on the idea that you have. Like the critic's like, I want to know that this is going to be a really great book before you even try writing the first draft.
1: Yeah. So really, um, as Stephen Pressfield says, the, the resistance is out to kill you. Yeah. You know, like it's, it's not playing around. It'll throw everything up at you in your face all the time. and. I think where we get to own our creativity is to say to resistance, Yeah, thanks. I get what you're doing, and I'm going to write a thousand words today anyway.
0: Exactly.
1: And that's it. You know, yeah. at, at some point, we have to have agency over what we do and how we do it. Um, I would, I have to say as well that I think that somewhere in that first 30 or 40 days for this book, I probably had a couple of days where I didn't do a thousand words because of just you know just stuff and life and things happened. And I know myself well enough to know that that's not going to be my default. I'm then not going to slowly over the days go from a thousand to nine hundred to eight hundred to seven hundred to six hundred, you know, and go down. Yeah, to two to nothing to actually. (laughs) Yeah, this wasn't worth happening. Um, So I also grant myself that I grant myself, and I think that's part of being a nourished writer is to know ourselves well enough to know, okay, if I do that thing, I'm on a slippery slope or no, that's not the case. I just, I'm just only going to be writing these, day, these words today. Um, not being nourished is also being self-compassionate and kind to ourselves and resting when we need to and acknowledging the critic and saying thank you, you know, I'm not trying to pretend it's not there because it is. Um, and the critic can make us better writers. Mm-hmm. Um, but not in the first draft, not, not invited, no thanks. Yep, Just they get their turn is later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like love for you to come back, come back later.
0: They're great proofreaders, but not great
1: drafters. Yeah, not great drafters. That's fine.
0: I think that this is also important because it's you have the impulse, we write forward and we have no idea where we're going. We have no idea. And there is no way to know that. And I think a lot of people fear starting because they want some sort of signature and a stamp, you know, saying you're allowed to get started. But I don't, I think it's important for people to know that no one gets that, even if they've written 20 bestsellers. You're never yeah. going to be given that. You have to take it.
1: Yeah, 100%. And I started this third book with writing the stories. I didn't know what the coaching processes were that were going to weave through it, but I did trust they would come if I started writing. And it, it's a thing that that saddens me that people think they have to know before they begin. And I don't mean just in writing. I mean in life. Yes. Like commitment is powerful to just decide I am going to do the thing And the how will show up once we have committed. Um, My husband and I, we took our children out of school in 2014 uh, to travel around Australia. Um, We got a caravan, we got the four-wheel drive, and as we were pulling away from our house on the 21st of December 2014, I turned to my husband and I said, we have no idea what we're doing, do we? (laughs) And he goes, nah, not at all. And I said, okay, let's do this. Now, we met a lot of people when we were on the road, 387 days we were on the road. We met a lot of people on the road that said, oh, woulda, coulda, shoulda. You know, we wanted to, but this, we didn't know how to do it. And, we did, and I said, we don't have any idea what we're doing. We are making it up. We are making it up as we go along. And I think it's the same with writing, that as long as, you know, we would get in the, we would get in the four-wheel drive and we would drive somewhere and then we'd be like, oh, so now we have to learn how to do this thing. Oh, what happens when your brakes go when you're going down a hill with a caravan that you're towing? Oh, how do you do that? It's the same with writing. As we are writing, the how reveals itself. The why can reveal itself. If we're wanting to know why we're writing or what it's going to be at the end and we're waiting, we're going to be waiting for a very long time.
0: Yeah, it's not going to come and pull you to the keyboard and say, do it. It's do it now. Yeah. I mean, that feeling may be there, but if it is there, that's the invitation. It's not
1: the guarantee. And this is the hard thing because no one's going to give you permission to write. No, they're not. They're not. Um, You just have to decide that it's important to you.
0: Yeah, I think this is the hardest part for many because there is that like, "Am I a real writer?" question. You know this this amorphous real well, you're not, writer. If you're,
1: if you're not writing, if you're not writing, then you're not a writer. Yeah. You know, I, I believe I'm. I'm a runner. I'm an endurance runner, and I'm a runner because I run. You know, if I didn't run, I wouldn't be a runner. I think if we write words then we are a writer. Who gets to say what sort of writer we are? If we're writing, we are a writer. If we cook, we are a cook. Um, If we walk, we are walkers. It's really interesting the stuff that we tie up with it. You know, the doing creates the truth. The thinking doesn't create the truth. This is from my standpoint. You know, I do know that I am someone that that is, that I I lean towards an action bias. It has to be meaningful action, not action for action's sake. But I believe as soon as I write a word on a page, I'm a writer. As soon as I put on my running shoes and I actually go for a run, whether it's, you know, I remember I will never forget my first kilometre. But I remember when I ran that kilometre, I was like, wow, I just became a runner. Mm Mm-hmm. Writing the first one or 500 words is the moment writing the first sentence or the first book, or the first blog is when you become a blogger.:
0: Yeah, it doesn't take as much to claim that. And it is a question of claiming the identity of writing rather than being given it. I think this is why people debate, do I need to get an MFA? Do I need to get a degree? Do I need to get this? Do I need to get that? And then I will be allowed to call myself. No, I think you claim it and then you start doing
1: it. Caroline, I have to ask you, I don't even know what an MFA is. What's an MFA? <laughs> that is amazing. It's, um, it may be a, it,
0: it's in the UK, I think, but it's definitely in the US, a master's of fine arts. and so people get a master's right. to find out it's in writing that is the perfect right. reaction the perfect okay. reaction
1: okay i'm glad i that's that's great to know that but i had no idea what that yeah and clearly yeah. you don't need to to be on your third book <laughs> <laughs> exactly i mean i'm sure there'd be tools that i would learn um and ways of structuring things but um i also know that sometimes those things can be tra- that we all have very unique voices and our unique voices are are really important i'm not necessarily going to say they're more important than form um but they are important that we keep our unique voices and then 100 percent there can be tools that can elevate and enrich and nourish those words but yeah people have to write i remember when i read um i'm not into his stuff now and now i cannot believe i can't i, I brought this up and now i cannot remember the author's name how bad oh, is that? i do this all the time Oh really? Um, Train Spotting. Um, oh yeah. Um, Danny. Oh, Do- oh God. <laughs> <laughs> no. And there are people listening going, how I know." Anyway, yeah, him exactly. and I loved every single one of his books, and it's not content that I would consume now, but in my twenties, I loved it. And he he writes it in the Scottish dialect, and I had to learn it, and I. Love that! I love that he wrote in his voice. Um, I remember when I first read um, *The God of Small Things*; I Roy*. I remember thinking, oh, "I have to learn this whole new language." Yeah, that um, she's written this language I've never heard. This she's created her own language. I read *Milkman* last year; it was my novel of the year last year, and had to learn and understand the Irish dialect. Mm-hmm. I love it when people write in their dialect. It takes you on a deeper journey. So yeah, I think, I think if we're going to learn about form, thinking that our unique voice isn't as important, I think it's as important, if not more important.
0: Oh, absolutely. I think the voice is so crucial and it adds something and you can lose it trying to do things the right way,
1: you know, in quotes
0: and there, there is no right way also. So you're not tangled up in knots because I get tangled up in knots I just I just had a peek and it's Irvin Welsh oh that great thank
1: you and who wrote Milkman
0: <clears throat> Milkman hold on let me get it I'm gonna get it because otherwise it we're all a gonna be like novel. oh she won the book
1: she won the Booker Prize
0: yep I've got it um yeah I'm one of these people also this
1: is why I organize uh Anna Burns I was gonna say I know it's Anna but Anna Burns yeah. oh. Anna Burns Oh, such oh, delicious! The ending, oh my gosh! Okay, that's all I have to say about that. But Anna Burns <laughs> and Irving Welsh, yes.
0: And um, yeah. I just read Avi Dare's *Girl with the Louding Voice*, which has is incredible in terms
1: of the voice. Oh, okay, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't heard of that book, and I yeah. will add it to my list.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's set in um, outside of Lagos in a village. Um, oh, is it? Oh yeah, my gosh, it's wow. set outside of Lagos in a village, and the thing that is so brilliant about it is that the main character is writing in English, which is not her first language. And her command of English changes over the course of the book. Because she's... In, so therefore, the, the way that she describes things changes and the wow. way that she's writing changes. And it's really brilliant. And yet you understand everything she's saying. You understand yeah. everything.
1: And in some
0: ways she loses some of the poetry as she, you know, has the more standard Mm.
1: word available to her. Yes. Yes. Oh, wow. I will definitely check that book out.
0: It's quite good. I really enjoyed it. I think so. I think to, to sum up what we've discussed so far. Are we done already? Oh, I know. It's horrible. I know. I'm like, we could go for days. Oh my gosh. We <laughs> can go for days, I know. Is that it's a vulnerable process, that fear is not a stop sign.
1: And that yes.
0: that you all you need to do is is write some words
1: down and
0: then you have all the permission you need.
1: Yeah, and all the feelings are valid. The yes, I can't do it, I'm not worthy, this isn't any good, people won't like all of that, that's all part of the process that is all part of the process and actually a tool that I heard, but I don't use this personally, but I read this and I thought, oh, this is fantastic, um, where she just talks about, a woman called Catherine Debney, She's an Australian comedian and writer and she has a book called Use Your Words and it's very much in her voice. She's very funny, very straight-talking. And she says, well, when the critic comes in, don't stop writing, just write what the critic is saying on a pad next to your laptop or just have a separate book to write down what the critic says. So you can just go, oh, thanks for sharing that. Write it down, get it out of your head and keep on writing. It is not a reason to stop the writing. And I think that is such a practical tool for anyone that will find that useful, that whatever the critic is saying around, it's not good, you're not good, you shouldn't be doing it, who do you get to do that? Just go, okay, yep, great, and keep on writing. That's really, really great. Because the thing about The Critic,
0: as I was talking to a a bunch of um, writing colleagues recently, was we're like, God, The Critic is actually a terrible writer. They use horrible (laughs) cliche. It's always the same plot line. There's nothing creative about it. So I don't understand why they get to say what we get to write and not because they're awful at it
1: that bit yeah that i like that that's that's a really really good point because the critic all the going back this idea of being good and being liked that that's all the critic is worried about is if you are you is this book going to be likable who wants to write a likable book don't we want to write a useful book um a transformational book an impactful book a meaningful book um yeah even I don't a know controversial write- book is better a than controversial book exactly Ooh, yeah Is better than 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 um writing a nice book
0: yeah that's like imagine your book review just like you said earlier yeah, this book was nice
1: oh nice. this book was nice
0: yeah oh devastating yeah yeah devastating <laughs> <laughs> Oh my mm. goodness! I wish we could talk
1: all day, but it's been oh, I'd love such... to talk to you all day, but we can't do that unfortunately.
0: We can't make everyone listen all day, but no, I'm that's sure right. it's not fair. <laughs> there will be more reasons to talk in the future. Thank you so, so, so much for coming on. Uh, my absolute delight. Thank you so much for listening to the Secret Library podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this week's show. You can keep the conversation going by leaving a comment in the show notes at secretlibrarypodcast.com or visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash secretlibrarypodcast. You can also connect directly with me on Twitter or Instagram, where I'm Donahue. That's at C-A-R-O-D-O-N-A-H-U-E. I look forward to chatting with you there. See you next week. Until then, happy writing.